You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Thank you. We're finding out right now that sugar, because it's in so many things, including like breakfast bars or coffees that we drink or eat. so sugar is one of the things that they're pinpointing as something that either causes depression or if we're already depressed makes it worse okay so one of the things we want to look at besides the list and be, uh, by the way this list came from the diagnostic and statistical manual um, it's on its fifth edition and it's what doctors and therapists use to diagnose depression So one of the things we want to look at, um, either for yourself or if you want to encourage a friend or someone that you're studying the Bible with, you want to encourage them to get a full physical. Because some of of the symptoms of depression can can actually come from issues with thyroid or maybe it's part of a different diagnosis. For example, bipolar will also display some depression and then some symptoms of um, basically what we call mania. Okay, so we want to rule out some other things before we diagnose uh, with depression in addition to substance abuse. So I know no one here is doing drugs, but when we're reaching out to people, we don't know if alcohol is the cause of them having a, a low mood or even marijuana, which is pretty popular here. And when we were in Denver, I noticed it was something that was all around. Okay, so we want to make sure that we get the person checked out. Um, physically and I think it's important because we will run into this some of the stats are that about seven or eight out of ten adults are going to suffer from depression at one point in their life and for teens it's actually a little bit higher as the hormones are trying to stabilize so if you think about a pendulum it's going like this for the teens right eventually it'll hone in um, but in the meantime you're going to see some hormonal changes in teens which could be the cause of some depression all righty, let's see what else. So we've differentiated between what, what Matt said is major depressive disorder, which is an actual diagnosis, um, and then some of us at some point will feel what we call the blues. So these are situational things. However, if they last more than two weeks, then we want to make sure um, that we're taking a look at it. So some of the situational things could be what, what I listed here. You know, you lose a job, you're going to be sad and depressed for a bit. Um, You lose a relationship that comes with its own set of sadness. Um, And then other forms of blues, which we said seasonal and hormonal. And then grief uh, or bereavement when we lose somebody important. Okay. Let me... What we often see with depression as well is um, a diagnosis of comorbidities meaning the patient actually is going to suffer from probably multiple different diagnoses. You know, they could be a, um alcoholic, which we also now classify as a disease as well, um, as well as depression too. So a lot of these things link together. So if you can kind of pinpoint one, you might be able to see, hey, there's a probably a good, pers- a good chance of depression also. Furthermore, there is some new research now around genetics, you know, with depression being something that can possibly run the family as well. So if, if there's a, someone in, your, in, the, in their family who has depression and you notice some of these symptoms, well, there could be something more, more to it as well. Okay. So 
I work for the Department of Addiction Medicine for Kaiser, and one of the things that we look at sometimes that maybe it's not biological or genetic. Sometimes people will say, no one in my family suffers from depression. But one of the things that I see most common is the person's perspective or the way they view the world, which is, you know, they wake up and something's negative about either, oh, it's too hot already and it's only 7 in the morning, or I hate rainy days. So what I tend to notice is, and if you notice here on the second portion, we put ants. Does anybody know what that is? Some of you that took a class with Dave Bruce should remember this. Okay, so they're automatic negative thoughts. We don't even know they're occurring. And the person waking up and having an attitude is a great example because the person could wake up and say, I hate hot days. This is going to be a horrible day. I hate going to work. Uh, my life sucks. Now I have a flat tire. So if you notice, they come in clusters. Negative thoughts don't usually come by themselves. They come in clusters. And so one of the things that we notice is, let's say I was having a generally good day, but these automatic thoughts enter the mind. By the time I know it, I've had 12 thoughts later, and then I'm wondering, I was fine earlier. Why am I, you know, down right now? It's because they happen like this. You know, and the Bible talks a lot about taking our thoughts captive, and I think there's a reason why the Bible says that, um, because we don't even notice it. The way I describe it is like a roll of toilet paper. So if I drop the toilet paper... How many squares later do you think I'm going to be able to catch it? Usually it's not one square later. Usually there's ten, right? So if you think of negative thoughts that way, by the time we we're able to notice that they're occurring, the mood is already slightly slumped. So we want to be able to, oh, wait a minute, I had that thought. We want to be able to have use, and we'll talk about some techniques later, to capture these and not let them get out of control. Okay, so these are, again, automatic negative thoughts. And I'm bringing you back something from the conference, which was putting the wins in the wins column. Um, that's something that they talk about at the conference, which is being aware of the things that are working. How many of you keep some kind of gratitude list or some kind of list um, of the blessings or great things that God is doing in your life? Okay. So this is another technique that helps with that way of thinking. I would say out of you know, I deal with people day in and day out. I would say nine out of ten people have the tendency to think negatively. Um, and I don't know why that is, um, but being aware of it, I think, is, is really key. Because if not, these thoughts just run really rampant. So, um, in terms of in t so in terms of the automatic negative thoughts, we notice that there's a mind and body connection, which I'm sure you already know, right? So if I was erect like this and I was having a generally good day, but a thought enters my mind and it tells me, you know, I'm not going to get this job, I'm no good at this, and by the time you know it, I want you to pay attention to my shoulders. We're slumped. And we walk in that way. And so we, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If I think it's going to go bad or that person's not going to like me or whatever, whatever the negative thought is, I've already convinced myself so I act as if, and then it gets fulfilled, and then it just it's cyclical, I guess is what I'm trying to say. right? So we want to be really aware of the thoughts that we're having because these can run kind of wild. I've seen people, I'm like, how did you get from point A to point Z? And it's because we let the, we let the thoughts just run a little bit crazy. Okay, so keeping a gratitude list would be something that would help counter that. All right. 
And then, oh, one more thing. Some of us, unfortunately, you know, we're going to go back to childhood just for a brief second. Some of us were either told things or came to believe things that are not currently true, right? Like you're never going to be anything or, you, you, you know, you dummy or whatever it is that you were told. Some of us carry those really old recordings with us. Could have been, a, you know, a silly five-year-old friend that said something to us. But some of us are a little more sensitive than others and we've really internalized some of these thoughts and we carry them with us. So that's another, that's another thing that I think needs to be addressed. Whose voice are you hearing? right? Um, Because some of us really carry around, if you're thinking about luggage, we're carrying around baggage or luggage from years past that really is really affecting us right now. It's affecting the way we feel and the way we um, see our worth instead of hearing how God views us or how God sees us now. Okay. Just real briefly, um, I actually have done some some some, uh, therapy work with uh with a therapist and actually just speaking on that um childhood kind of uh influence guys it's significant you know i just can't i mean i didn't really realize how significant it was but when i started digging in a little bit thinking about i come from a broken family um you know childhood wasn't all that i wish i wish it would have been um but how significant some of those mentalities that i developed from five to thirteen gosh, they are just still creeping up, you know, and if you don't tackle them now, you know, they're not going to go anywhere. Actually, they might even get worse, to be honest with you. So um, I invite really anyone, if you have some areas that have not been touched with, touched yet, that you really got to get in there. It's, it's, it's tough work. It's tough work. You know, it's kind of, it's a process. But um, also, this can also be an area that you can, if you're Dealing with someone who you think has depression, you know, um, you know, you might want to also encourage them as well because these are some thoughts that are keeping them down as well, you know. Um, so I just say that because I've been doing that work recently, and um, it's been paying some dividends. It's not immediate, but you know, it's a, it, it's coming, you know, as well. Sorry, we want to be mindful of the time. Um, just really quickly, in terms of you know some of this childhood stuff, one one of the tools that I use is because I think we all carry something. You know, maybe it, maybe it's you, you you didn't you know you didn't hit the home run when all your buddies were on base, and n- now you kind of carry that with whatever it is. It can be the smallest thing, but we carry things. And so one of the tools that I use is questioning the source, which is. You know, if we were among 12-year-olds and it was a 12-year-old that blurted out something irresponsibly that I now carry with me, kind of questioning who is that person to dictate, you know, who, what I'm worth or who I am in my life currently. And I know it's, it sounds easy, but with the help of a therapist, um, and I know we have a lot of different resources here in the church. Um, for, for some of us, we have, gr- you know, there's grief recovery, there's chemical uh, recovery, there's, there are uh, plenty of brothers and sisters that are um, individual therapists or that run groups here. Um, what's an, you can even go through your insurance. Um, and if you, worst case scenario, if you don't have insurance, please feel free to see me. We'll find some resources in the community. Okay, so if you're ready to deal with something, um, it would be important to begin to begin addressing it. And I love that book, you know, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, because that's kind of the premise of the book, that we can't be, 
emotionally unhealthy and then spiritually healthy. It doesn't work that way. The two things kind of go together. Right. Okay. Um, yes, I just want, I wanted to say one more thing, um, which is kind of the, the first line there, that there is no other way to deal but to deal. And I see people try to take shortcuts in the line of work that I do, which is let me get drunk and not think about you know, being abused or, or this relationship breakup. But let me, co- let me tell you, we kind of magnify the problem for not having dealt with it in the first place. Okay. So we're going to skip on now to the um, practicals here. And um, I'll go through the first couple, handful, and then you can... Oh, perfect. Okay. Um, first, fill your mind. So this is, these are some ways that we encourage if you think you're suffering or if you know someone as well. Um, fill your mind with the promises of God. Do you have a scripture for that one? And the scripture is Romans 12, 12, uh, which just basically th- talks about renewing our mind, right? Okay. Okay. Um, and there is no substitute for being close to God. We, us two, we believe that um, God can overcome depression, you know, um, along with other measures, you know, but primarily God as a number one. We think there's enough power in the Holy Spirit and, and um, in the scriptures, you know, in the input relationships to overcome depression as well. To say something, you know, even if we take medication or see a therapist, that alone will not do it, right? Because we're talking about something that could be um, a, a spiritual issue. I mean, there, there's there's so many layers to depression, and I think we're doing our best to try to cover it. Um, but I I see people that either go to therapy and that's not enough, or therapy plus medication not enough. If you need therapy and medication and God, that's going to work. But if you don't have God, it's not going to work regardless. Okay. Okay, so um, pray about pray about strongholds, old tapes. We discussed that already about um, taking away some of those um, old recordings. Um, with depression as well, limit overstimulation. You know, the web, the internet. I mean, the web, all the social media, the news. It can it can get you down as well. If you have a naturally depressed or kind of low demeanor, this is not helping much either as well. Um, get enough sleep. You know. Um, when your lack of sleep, negative thoughts are easy to infiltrate into your mind as well. Um, exercise. Exercise, we know, releases a lot of endorphins, a lot of neurotransmitters. And these, these can help. Um, if you, some, of, some depression is because you're not releasing enough um, neurotransmitters. So therefore, by exercising, it can actually release those as well. Um, let the little things amaze you again. So um, I think this is self-explanatory here. Um, count your blessings and victories. Uh, jumpstart the happiness and plant happiness. Do you have anything about that? Uh-huh. Okay. Really quickly, I just wanted to say something about the overstimulation. One of the things we're seeing is that it's almost like a drug. So when somebody does drugs, um, their, what's the word I want to use? Their neurotransmitters kind of kick up. And so when they're not using drugs, there's a dip and they're depressed. They're finding out something very similar um, about being online, like doing everything instantaneously. Right, so that that's the expectation that everything has to go so fast, and we're always occupied, and things are always going. So they're they're equating that to almost a drug, which is my, you know my brain is way up here, and when I'm not doing that, then I feel depressed. So that and that's one of the reasons we're encouraging you to um, limit overstimulation, particularly teenagers. 
Okay, so maybe some of you have little kids or siblings or, or whatever. Okay. All right, so um, we were at jumpstart the happiness, or pl- I coined this word. It, it's, it's two words that already existed, but um, planned happiness, meaning that if you already are feeling kind of down, do something to jumpstart it. Go to the beach and pray. You know, take a walk around the neighborhood. Call a friend. Look at old pictures. There's ways to combat the depression to the point where it's not three days later, six days later, nine days later, I'm feeling the same. There's things that can be done to help us feel like, oh, I remember that, just kind of to break up the monotony or or the feelings of sadness. Um, Let's see what else. Do not isolate and give Satan a foothold. So I know the scripture talks about in your anger, do not sin and don't give Satan a foothold. But I think when we isolate, we give him a foothold as well. Um, because no one knows what's going on, and so it's just me and my thoughts and my brain, and we know where that, where that can lead. Um, get enough sat- natural sunlight. So again, some of us are prone to seasonal depression, and so getting enough sunlight is really great for your brain. Uh, get to know your triggers, um, and stay away from things that get you discouraged. I love my grandmother dearly. She's almost 80, but she'll call me and tell me, guess what was on the news? And she'll go through the list of all the sad things. That's a trigger for me. I know for myself, I can't sit there and watch the 6 o'clock or 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock news. Because I will go to bed depressed. So it's very important as we're getting to know ourselves, what things really send me in that direction. If I'm already prone to being sad under certain circumstances. Um, So just knowing that about yourself and trying to stay away from things like that. Uh, be careful about the things that you choose to watch and listen to, so along those lines. And then the last thing is I'm encouraging you, or we're encouraging you, to go on a mind fast, to really think about what it is that you're putting in the brain, right? So there's a big hoopla about, oh, you know, gluten-free and those kind of things for the body. But there's also similar things for the brain. Uh, I, sometimes I listen to the radio, and in between the commercials, they say some of the craziest things, right? So you know, really paying attention to what we're putting in the brain because ultimately it's a trickle-down effect, right? What we put in here affects the body, affects the heart, affects our relationship with God, affects our worldview. So it's all connected, you guys. So I'm encouraging you tomorrow as you're heading to work or wherever you're going to really pay attention to what you're listening to or what you're watching. Um, okay. Okay, I just want to run through a couple of scriptures here. Um, now, in the back here. So we just um, we just feel like once again these are all ways to overcome depression or to teach other people who we might know how to overcome depression. Um, so, and we believe the primary way to do so is through the scriptures. So we wanted to take a peek at a couple of scriptures that uh, stood out to us and a couple of different characters as well. So let's first look at uh, Philippians four. Uh, verse 8. Okay, so the Bible reads in Philippians 4, verse 8. This is, Paul, this is Paul speaking, and he says, uh, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
think about such things. Really a beautiful scripture for people who are possibly suffering from depression, who are suffering depression, who you think you need to encourage, who might be suffering as well. Because as de- when you have depression, you're just constantly influxed with negative thoughts. I mean, it's tough for someone who doesn't suffer from depression to really understand or relate to that. But um, I have members of my family who, who have depression. And um, it's a pretty dark world. You know, I'm sure maybe you guys have been involved with other people, but, um, you know, we got to we got to infiltrate their minds with positivity as well. OK, moving on. Um, Deuteronomy 32. Taking a peek here at um, what uh, basically God is saying to the Israelites here, encouraging them and in. 32, verse 10 through 12. The Bible reads, In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and carried and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that throws up its nest and hovers over its young. So I chose this scripture because when you suffer from depression, you know, you are, sometimes life is just, you're just in a bad spot. You think no one cares about you. Everything is hard. Um, everything is overwhelming as well. But we need to teach people who are in this space that God actually does care because they cannot see, even though you tell them you love them, sometimes for them, just in one ear, out the other as well. Okay. A uh, couple more scriptures. Psalm 61. Where the Bible reads from uh, verse 1 through 4. This is David speaking in a moment of despair. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For I have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever. And take refuge in the shelter of your wings. So um, I recall Marco sharing um, some psalms recently. He talked about when he was in a, a moment that was challenging for him. And he read these scriptures and they're, they're not very encouraging right away. But you know what? When you're in a depressed state, they are encouraging. Because they remind you that other people have been there. You know, And this is a spot when David was in that kind of area. Despair, lonely, depressed. But he see what he he relied on God, so we need to point people back. Lastly, First uh, King, nineteen, ten through thirteen. One of my favorite Bible characters, speaking about Elijah. And we'll just uh, pick it up at uh, verse ten. here 
sorry, guys. One second. Okay, actually, pick it up at 11. Uh, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. So I think this is a, um, a scripture I wanted to pick out because it shows that God's not always going to show up to us in the way that we might expect. Um, we had three or four different appearances, or, you know, we, Elijah thought that God would be there, but he didn't. Um, and then I love how God actually showed up. Elijah was in despair. He had gone through a lot with different different uh, people in the scriptures. He was lonely. He had failure. He thought he killed the widow's child. Um, and you know, so at the end of the day though, God showed himself to him at a whisper and he said, carry on with your journey. I'm going to be there with you. Um, so I think that's about it. We'll kick over the promises now. I don't know how many of you I've shared my story with, um, but 15 years ago I had just, I was going through marital separation and I was probably the most depressed I've ever felt in my life. Like, I remember waking up and feeling like, I don't want to wake up to this day. I don't, I, know if, I don't know if it's Wednesday. I don't know if it's Saturday. And I don't care. Um, and, I, you know, I had two little kids depending on me. But I just felt like I needed a bulldozer to, to lift me from my bed. It was just, I can't, I can't describe it. And so this is one of the things that has led me into this field. Um, but what I do want to share is that I can attest to the power of God's promises. Because it's what saved my life. Um, I remember people telling me, you're going to be okay, you're young, you know, all, all, whatever verbal encouragement I could get or however many people were surrounding me, I still didn't feel like that was enough. And somebody met me at UCLA, and they showed me the Bible, and she said, I don't know what else to tell you, read the Psalms. And so the Psalms became like my vitamins every day. I know that sounds kind of silly, but I paced up and down before, down the hallway before I left um, for school, and it really uplifted me. I, can't, I, I really believe to this day that the Psalms saved me. They really saved me. Um, and I'm saying this to say that just how the automatic negative thoughts can kind of send us spiraling down, something like reading the Psalms daily and, being re- and reinforcing the promises of God, it has life-saving power. That's my true belief. So I'm encouraging you to maybe look up some of the promises of God. And we've listed a few here, but the Bible is full of so many promises. Promises to guide us, promises to protect us if we'll, you know, if we'll follow, if we fear God. Promises uh, for long life for ourselves and our children if we follow God. So there's just so many promises. Um, I would like to end with, with this last promise here. Um, and, but I do encourage you to make a list for yourself. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you, you lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. And that's the New Living Translation, Psalm 31:19. 
Um, so one really quickly and lastly, one of the things that I do with my group at work is when they're suffering from depression, we'll read, I can't bring the Bible to work. So we've come up with 30 positive affirmations. And I have them grade themselves mood-wise before they start and after they finish saying something positive. Most people's points go up. So it's a one to seven scale. Somebody will say, I'm feeling a two. By the time we're done repeating these positive things, which for us as Christians is the Bible and God's promises, not just positive affirmations, but God's promises um, for, for the folks at my job, we see point increase. Um, and for us, I'm imagining, and I know for myself in my own life, I, you know, it's what got me out of a really dark place. Great. Um, in closing, um, just uh, on a personal note, I have a, a member of my family who uh, suffers from depression. She's on uh, numerous medications, a cocktail uh, of medications. And just um, if you have someone in your life who has depression um, and you want to counsel them, I just urge you to be really patient with the, with the, with the person, you know, because uh, – but also hopeful as well because there is hope. And people can carry on and live very productive lives, even even with severe depression, with the right scriptures, the right the right Bible, um, gospel, and um, as long as you know you have supportive friends as well. And also, um, if it's something that you think you know you could be suffering from, or you know want to get checked out, I encourage you to do so. You know, you're not different. You're not different. You know, people um, in our church have numerous disorders. You know that. We might not know about, and they can function very highly. Talk, we listened to something today in, in class about a schizophrenic, a woman who came who who, who uh, came to be a PhD and tour the country despite hearing voices consistently for 20 years. So I mean, there is uh, a lot of hope out there, a lot of great um, programs and medications that can really help as well. So that's about it. So thank you for letting us share tonight. We definitely appreciate it. We have about uh, 15 minutes, so I thought we could have some maybe Q&A if you have any questions. Otherwise, we can just pray. So anyone have any questions you'd like to ask? Don't be shy. For your friend? (laughs) Just kidding. Okay, who'd like to start? Okay, I'll let you guys. Okay, so I think uh, one of the great things about being in in the kingdom is being able to, um, in the fellowship, I should say, is is to be able to get input. You know, um, if you feel, I've always kind of taken the um, the mentality is um, if I've really exhausted my own internal mentality, my own my own thought process, is to always be able to go outside that thought process, right, and um, and obtain different input, right. Maybe maybe your friends see something that you really like, you know, um, that you're really good at, and they can um, actually not not have you do it on your own so much, but be involved with you. But I definitely encourage you to um, seek advice about that, 
And that's kind of an easy response, but it's not easy to do always, right? Um, and also to um, to really to really go after, you know, doing things that you do love to do. And you got to find something because there's a lot of things that you do love, you know, and you just haven't identified them yet, you know, or, or can articulate them, so to speak. But, you know, to to overcome sort of depressive moods, you know, it's going to be really, really important to do so. So I like what Matt said about involving other people, right? Because it's the people that maybe your roommates or somebody that knows you that maybe can give you some ideas. But my answer is going to be be adventurous. If you've never had Thai food, go have it. If you've never, you know, gone skateboarding, go skateboarding. It's th- that's the only way you're going to figure out what it is that you like. You know, to kind of get out of our comfort zone and go do things that you may not other. You'll you'll either find out I hate it. This is the one and only time I'm doing this. Um, or you might say that wasn't so bad after all. I thought I hated sushi, and now it's one of my favorite foods because somebody in my group said, come on, let's try it. Okay, so be adventurous. Yeah, there's uh, some cognitive behavioral um, therapy that that can be done, and I mean, not something that we would be able to do, but I mean, you know, you could look into it, and it, it kind of revolves around the mentality of not placing so much weight on your own thoughts that are irrational, um, because oftentimes the thoughts that come into us, we can get ourselves so beaten down by what we're thinking, we're like, why am I thinking that? But in reality, it's coming from somewhere else, and if we can begin to not it's tough to do and take some practice, but not put so much weight on that thought and then remove it and you keep going on. Oh, I had this crazy thought come through. Why am I, th- you know, it's not me all the time. It's not my spirit speaking. The Holy Spirit, you know, isn't being so negative, you know. So I think that's something to look into as well. Not putting so much weight on the thoughts that are infiltrating your mind as well. You know, the Bible talks about as much as it's up to us, right? And so if you feel like you did your part, um, then then we would encourage you to detach. Yeah. God knows I've done my piece. I've swept my side of the street, and that's all you can do. Um, and then saying, I give, I give the rest over to you, God. Maybe the person will initiate. Maybe there will be an opportunity. Um, but I physically, when I'm in that position, I physically open up my hands and say, please take it. I've done up to where I'm able to do.
Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, number one is, um, first of all, you personally have to display a lot of patience, okay? Um, and I think secondarily is to find out if she's, um, if she's indeed seeing a therapist. Um, if she's not, do your best as a friend to encourage her to do so because it's not much. If someone's not getting that assistance through, you know, CBT or if they're not getting pharmacological help, you know, there's not, you know, it's tough. But if you can encourage them to get to those spaces, I think it's a good friend. In scriptures. Um, the first one, I think um, the one of the primary mechanisms for um, for addressing any sort of uh, mental disorder is around group therapy. So once you start attending a group therapy, if you can get that that person, especially you know that guy, which is sometimes half the battle, but once they get inside these rooms, they're going to go, "Wow, this is unbelievable." Yes, there's 12 guys here who are dealing with X, Ys, and Zs, and they're we're like the same. And it's actually this big weight off your shoulder. And, you know, I think that's probably half the battle is getting that guy there. You know, if you can get him there, he's, he's, he's going to be really good. So I think one of the things that's really helpful is, you know, sometimes as brothers and sisters or even extended family members, the person feels judged, and so they don't want to talk about some of the, some whatever's going on for them. So one of my favorite lines is, can you go one time? Because if they come one time to a therapist that is non-judgmental, that will, you know, kind of sit there, we won't, we're trained not to, you can tell us the ugliest things, we don't flinch, we're trained not to, you know. Oh, why? what you did that right we don't do that and so and so just to sit there with somebody for 30 minutes or 45 and 50 minutes and all you get back is because it's truly what you get back if it's a good therapist care and patience and compassion and so once they notice that I deal with guys every day and they're very ashamed of their addiction but once I can sit there for 45 minutes and I'm like I'm really sorry that happened to you wow it sounds like you were dealing with a lot once you get that kind of feedback versus cringing or whatever um, because we're human beings, we have responses. But once they're able to get that kind of neutral, you know, they want to come back. They want more. And I think, especially for men, it's one of the reasons they turn to drugs because they don't feel like there's there are outlets. And once they find them, they kind of hold on. It's very rare that I'll find a guy that'll say, "Thank you for the 45 minutes, but I'm out of here." Um, I'll ask them, "What do you think? Do you think you want to come back?" They're gung ho to come back because we're all looking for love, right? We're all looking for understanding. What a man desires is unfailing love, and so that's kind of what a therapist will will give to some degree: unfailing positive regard and un unfailing care. As for the roommate situation or whoever's draining you, um, I think because it, it happens a lot, I think one of the things that we can do is say, "I will go with you this one time," because for the person who's dealing with depression, like you mentioned, your the roommate or whoever that wants to stay in the dark, it's a daunting task to get out of bed, to make an appointment, and to show up. 
but if you if, if maybe they can have one caring person go I'm a big fan of the one time I'll go with you this first time I'm with you then I think it gets the ball rolling versus here's the number and good luck to you yeah real quick to add on to that um, I would encourage anyone who's really interested in this subject is to hop online or get some books about therapeutic communication there's um, that is different than what discipling is and that's different than you know asking questions you know there is a that is about taking the emphasis off of myself and putting it all on you it's active listening is not asking why all the time you know it's not necessarily digging in as we do as disciples you know so much as well so i think that's important to investigate more Caution really quickly, though, not to take on that role. If, so to learn what it is, to, you know, to educate yourself, to kind of see how it works. But if you're not in that role, I would say don't take it on. Because once we open up Pandora's box, then you're, then you're almost in a role of caretaker to someone else. And if you don't feel prepared to do that, then maybe going with the person the one time. Because it's, it's very burdening if you're doing it outside of, like, maybe some, some support or some clinic or some hospital. Okay. So, um, and for me, like, um, but the first time someone said they said it so unloving, basically, you know, and it's just, even though I felt like it was true, it was so hurtful that I, I couldn't get past it. Then my friend, my best friend said, you know, I do think there's some things that you're
male or female, and women should go to therapy, all women should go to therapy, they got issues anyway. You know, like we have all these stereotypes in our head, but therapy is, is an investment, you know, in care. So, I don't know. So, so are you asking basically how do you yeah, encourage how do you somebody to yeah. go? Yeah. Okay. Like how would you, you know, like I know from the male perspective, you would say like groups, but that could be for anybody. But there are barriers. I mean, even culture, I mean, racial cultures, like people grow up with this thought, these thoughts in our head, like this is not okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So again, that's why I'm a big fan of the one time, because that one time is a hook. Um, so I get, you know, men and women, and I, I said earlier, Latins, for whatever reasons, I have family saying, what is it that you do? Right. Why can't these people just snap out of it? And I'm like, well, because it's, it, there's, it's complicated, right? Um, but I'm a big fan of, and I'll give you an example. I have a, a few older Latin gentlemen that I'm like, they come in there very reluctant. They'll come in very reluctant, and they're like, I don't need this. I don't know why the doctor said, or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, well, let's sit and chat just one time, the one time, right? And the one time really does it for them because they're able to, we call it vomit. They're able to, this is what's happened in my life to date, like from the time I was, you know, six months old to now. And it's very, it's very freeing. It's very cathartic, right, to get to tell our story and to have somebody listen to our story and validate our story. So I'm a big fan of the one time. Can you just go one time and just try it one time? If you don't like it, I'll never bother you again. But like you said, right, you had your own kind of preconceived ideas about what therapy was. But once you went, the person made you feel what? Safe. Safe, okay? And so usually, usually that helps. Great question. Fantastic. Um, we can talk offline. There's a lot of resources. You know, I mean, I've been to um, a therapist who wasn't Christian. I got some wacky advice that was just <laughs> counterintuitive you know, to the Bible. And I was just like, what? And I, I saw him one time and that was it. <clears throat> and I've been to a disciple. I've been to a therapist who's also a disciple as well. And it is night and day, you know. So they're out there, you know, and uh, we have resources. So I'd recommend to investigate that for. Well, I mean, what we're we've been trained to do is um, literally baby steps with the self-care. You know, I mean, sometimes it's just can you take a shower today? Like that simple. You know, can you make that one phone call today to that one person? So, because with people with depression, you got to remember they things are overwhelming to them. So, I think um, small steps initially. 
I mean, I keep saying this, but I'm a big fan of the one, right? Just one. <laughs> Seriously, because it's what works. It's what works. Um, if I say, okay, first you're going to do A, B, and then C, and then when you're done with that, I have three more chores for you. The person's like, forget it. Um, but if we say one phone call, right, or one prayer about this, or, you know, one walk around the block, that's it. I'm, I won't ask you anything after that. Um, because you're absolutely right. Depression, when we're really in it, is paralyzing. So for the person, two things seems like too many. Um, so just one thing. I'll drive you, just shower, I'll drive you, I'll come with you, I'll sit with you, and then we can get the ball rolling. But one of the things that I hear every day is the, the overwhelm. It feels like Godzilla. And so we want to say, not Godzilla, just this, just this. That's it. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for being here. I hope it was uh, helpful and constructive. We got some incredible resources here, right, as your brothers and sisters. Um, I'm sure they'd answer questions more now or another time. But uh, let's say a prayer. God, thank you so much for how practical your word is. Um, I don't remember what book I was reading, um, but it talked about how 70 years ago the, um, for medication, uh, people just used alcohol only. Uh, and that was the antidepressant of choice. And uh, thank you so much that we have modern science that you gave us. We have smart people like doctors that have devoted their life and therapists and medical professionals and that we have your word and we have your fellowship, the brothers and sisters. Help us be humble. Uh, help us take great care of ourselves. Help us take great care of our brothers and sisters and set the right boundaries. And just help us be well and put effort into our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health, and our spiritual health. We love you. Thank you for how the church meets so many of our needs, but most of all, you meet all of our needs, and we're very grateful for that. Help us love one another deeply, and thanks so much for Matt and Priscilla sacrificing their time to prepare for this and uh, having uh, serving us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great night. Thanks for being here. You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.